In the name of God, creator, redeemer, and sustainer. Amen. On this second Sunday after Christmas, as I said, we're lingering just a little longer on what Christ's birth means for us as we begin this new year. Whether we're living on the Gold Coast or somewhere else around the world, living well with the realities of our day-to-day life at this time and questions about what the future might look like, uh, look like can be a challenge for all of us, I think. So let's not move on too quickly from this great celebration of the Christian year which we spent weeks anticipating and for which we spent so much time and energy preparing. Let's pause for a few moments to consider what Christmas has meant for our worship and life together. And I don't have the clicker, do I? So I'm going to, um, we might, yeah. Thanks. Let's pause for a few moments to consider what Christmas has meant for our worship and life together as the church, as families and friendship circles, and also for our own hearts and lives. What has been helpful? What questions about life and faith remain? And what light does this morning's gospel reading throw on your thoughts? Next week, thanks Bowen. Next week we begin our journey through Mark's gospel, which has no birth narrative at all. This week though, we have a window of opportunity to venture into the very beginning of John's gospel called the prologue by most. I'm excited because here we find a narrative about God coming to live amongst us that in many ways could have been written for 21st century people coming to terms with life's realities and struggling to find meaning and purpose in life, which is perhaps the most widespread pandemic of all in the Western world and the cause of so much anxiety and fragility in our time. Might this morning's reading offer some comfort and direction? As with the first section of most ancient biographies, the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke and John, begin by answering two questions about the biography's subject. Who is he and where does he come from? In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And the Word became flesh and lived among us, and we have seen his glory, the glory as of a father's only son, full of grace and truth. In John's prologue, there is no narrative about shepherds, as in Luke, or wise men, as in Matthew. John takes a bird's eye view, like an eagle hovering high above the earth, able to take in the big picture while still being able to see lunch on the ground far below. This perspective differs from the horizontal history and geography of the other gospels. The word, the original Greek word, logos, resonated with people from both Greek and Hebrew cultures who were forming new Christian communities at the end of the first century. For Greeks, the logos was the logical reality behind the cosmos. And for Hebrews, the word of God was always an active, living thing, 
present at creation in the form of wisdom, Sophia. And from this vantage point beyond time and space, John comes to earth to announce that the word, the Logos, became flesh and lived among us. The word became a person. I love that these verses aren't located specifically. Their location is the world, the world of the first century, as well as our own anxious, beautiful world. And the message is so wonderfully relevant and accessible for us who live in secular communities where our approach to meaning-making has been dominated by reason, yet often at the expense of mystery and reality. Light and life are key themes occurring twice as often in John's gospel as in the other three put together. John locates light and life in the word made flesh for all people. Light and life. What difference does light make when we're lost in the dark or frightened or simply can't see well enough to make out what's really real? The prologue tells us that John the Baptist was sent to testify to the true light who enlightens everyone and who was coming into the world. The Greek word used here denotes truth in the sense of genuine and real. In worlds where rational thought prevails, the Greek world as well as our own, the writer of John's gospel is able to tell us that God who can't be seen, who exists as mystery, has been known in a real and genuine way by the Son, who is full of grace and truth. The Son is not an illusion. The Word made flesh is as real as any one of us. Here's a, a, a paraphrased version taken from John 1 that I often found helpful to read with students. In the beginning was the idea. The idea came from God and was part of God, yet it seemed to have a life of its own. The idea fluttered around the world, creating, inspiring, enlightening, awakening. It was in every place and time, but in one place and time it came to rest, not in a great city like Rome or Jerusalem, but in a small village called Nazareth. This is a radical thought for Greek and Hebrew people alike. Again, the Greek Gnostics believe that matter is bad and that which is spiritual is good. There was this divide between the two. What are your thoughts about that? I think that would form an interesting conversation. The power of John's Gospel is the way it makes our material, physical, day-to-day, -day, ordinary life sacred. At our midnight service on Christmas Eve, I spoke about sacred space and the Celtic Christian idea of thin spaces where the separation of heaven and earth becomes almost nothing at all. Heaven has come to earth in our lives through the word made flesh who dwells amongst us. This is at the heart also of the Christmas narratives about angels and shepherds and wise men. For the Hebrew people, the God now tented, that is what the word translated as dwell means, the people, in, God tented with the people instead of in the Ark of the Covenant or in the temple in Jerusalem, and this made a whole change in orientation of life and worship when these people became followers of Christ. And for Gentile people, 
Kenneth Bailey says, when the word of God entered our world in the birth of a child, matter was demonstrated to be worthy of receiving and communicating the fullness of God. And theologians call this the incarnation. Think about it. In the beginning, the word who was with God and was God brought life to all things. The created world was good, even very good. If we're to engage with the material world as people whose lives are animated by God's life and light, we have an important role to play. If the light and life and wisdom of God dwells within us, we are to be that, bring it to others and to work for justice in the world, however we can, wherever we are. When we pray every week, your kingdom come on earth as in heaven, our life's work as followers of Jesus who bear his life and light is to become part of the answer to that prayer, a task which, like me, you may feel inadequate at times, and yet this is our calling one of the treasures that I was gifted when I finished my time at Coomera Anglican College just a few weeks ago was a box of letters from colleagues. Reading them, I began to better understand what it had meant to these precious people to have a chaplain living and working amongst them. Many of them were people who felt that their faith was very fragile, tenuous. Yet for someone to live amongst them as a person of faith, the one that they saw as the God person, although that was a very daunting idea, but that is how they would see the chaplain. The God person who spoke their language and understood their metaphors. They came to appreciate more than I had recognized that God meets us where we are, as we are, and invites us into the fullness of life that Jesus promised. Jesus used everyday language when he taught about life in God's community of love. He spoke about light on a hill, salt that flavors and preserves that which is worth keeping. He spoke about trees bearing fruit and about being bread and living water. And when Jesus was with people, John's gospel is full of stories of Jesus laughing, crying, eating, drinking, celebrating, praying, listening and offering healing and forgiveness and inclusion for those on the margins. The thing that has blown me away most from reading these letters is that while I sometimes thought I was doing an inadequate job because I felt like I was spread very thinly amongst a large community and a large campus, by ensuring that I visited every nook and cranny of the campus as often as I could, knowing everyone's name, if only to smile and say hello, people felt seen, and valued. By listening more than I spoke, people felt heard. And by paying attention to the needs of others and trying not to focus too much on my own, it's difficult to do, isn't it? I was able to offer a meaningful response, whether it was a word of encouragement, practical help, the promise to hold someone in prayer, or simply acknowledging someone's reality. When I let go of the need to be right and to change people, I was better able to discern how to help people catch a glimpse of the word made flesh and for God to become possible for them. What I discovered is that people everywhere, the loud and confident ones included, are one, often wondering whether they are worthy of God's love, whether they measure up. John chapter one tells us that God's life and light are for all people. 
Why do I use this illustration, which is rather a personal one? Well, I'm hoping that together, as I join the team here with Stuart and Bowen and Dale and Anne and Andrea, that together we might be people who listen well, who pay attention, who put aside our own needs and listen to others and come alongside them, that together each and every one of us might bring the light and life of Christ to those that we encounter in the town centre, in the community space next door, in our workplaces, in our families, wherever we find ourselves. Light is recognised as light because it stands in contrast to darkness. Paul uses the language of sin and death in his letters when he talks about this darkness. There is darkness and light within all of us. That's the problem of sin that is part of everyone's daily challenge. Alexander Solzhenitsyn expresses this idea beautifully when he says, it's not that we can put all the bad people, all the bad nations, all the bad states over here and say, here is all the evil in the world. He says the line between good and evil runs through the heart of every human heart being. And who is willing to destroy a piece of his own heart or her own heart? Evil brings death and darkness. That's its trajectory. Life brings goodness and light. The word made flesh who brings light to all things is the life giver who loves, heals, redeems, restores that which has been broken in the heart of every person. God's love and forgiveness are manifestations of God's fullness of life, of grace upon grace that frees us from being caught up in legalism. So as well as the themes of light and darkness, flesh and spirit, law and grace, John's gospel is full of the language of abundance. This is in stark contrast to our world, don't you think? Not only is our world characterized by rational thinking and anxiety, there seems to be a pervading sense of scarcity, which I think is fueled by materialistic saturation. Here in Jordan's prologue, who Jesus is and why he came emerges from the loving generosity of a father's heart. From the fullness of the word made flesh, from his innate capacity to bring forth by darkness, we've all received grace upon grace. The word fullness is an incredible word. It is the sum total of all that is God, all the power of love, all the goodness of wisdom, the beauty of compassion and the gift of forgiveness. The word who became flesh is inexhaustible. In the presence of Jesus, we find all that we need, whatever our circumstances. Can you think of a time, a moment even, when you became aware of this sufficiency, the complete sufficiency of Jesus' presence? As people who are part of God's family, as Christ has come to live with us, how might we be Christ to others as they search for meaning and find a place to belong in their everyday lives? How might we be light and life for others as this new year begins? In the words of a Christmas card I received years ago and framed because the word spoke to me, the word did not become a philosophy, a theory, or a concept to be discussed, orated, or pondered. The word became a person to be followed, enjoyed, 
and loved. As we move from Christmas in the weeks ahead, how will you follow, enjoy and love the one who is the word made flesh, living amongst us full of grace and truth and inviting us to make God possible for others so that their ordinary everyday life becomes life in all its fullness. Amen.